We are I. What a weekend. You know, the final hunting trip of the year and there's going to be meat in the freezer. Bag two deers. That's a, that's a speed up to the very end of a, a very great story. And you know, like this story starts, you know, two years or two years ago, two months ago, you know, so if you close your eyes and, you know, you reel back into your own childhood and you correlate to this, to the memories that you have into the memories that have, you know, been bestowed upon you during your life. You know, I grew up on a, a farm in southern Alberta and, you know, one of the things that we did every year was hunting. You know, whether we would, you know, walk out the farm door and basically walk into the, you know, the section of land that we owned, you know, across from our farmhouse and we would go hunting there or we would, you know, casually drive around the countryside and, you know, shake the hands of the neighbors and, you know, throw up some waves and, you know, quick hellos and a coffee here and a coffee there. You know, which hunting was almost more of an excuse to, you know, air quotes, tootle around, you know, and say hi to the neighbors. You know, and this is how I grew up and probably a, a big part of how I became, you know, so social. You know, because on the farm, you have to deliberately be social. Because if you don't deliberately be social, you become very antisocial very quick because, you know, people won't just stop by if you're not pleasant. You know, people won't just stop by and grab a coffee and shoot the shit. And, you know, when you're a farmer growing up in those areas and you see that truck that you know coming down the road, people just naturally start to slow down. And when you slow down and the other truck slows down, if they slow down and give a quick wave and keep on going, no offense taken, you know that person's got something to do, but they gave you the courteous thing to be able to slow down and tilt the head or wave the hand. You know, but more likely than not that that person would, you know, stop alongside you, even if it was just a quick hello and how you guys doing? Yeah, we're just out hunting. Yeah, good luck. You know, and everybody keeps on going. You know, because you had to deliberately be social, respectful, and courteous. You know, like that's what my child was about. And that directly correlated, you know, with farming. You know, living off the land, being stewards of the land. You know, so you speed this whole process up by 30 years and we get to where we are today and I haven't been hunting with my dad in probably 20 years you know and I've been bugging him the last few years to come with me because I know he's getting to a point in time where you know that he's not going to be able to you know so after the first few hunting trips up to the uh, Okanagan this year and coming back skunked and talking to him on the phone while I'm glassing these ridges and these meadows and you know driving up to these cut blocks and going down these FSR roads and just you know airing my like welcomed frustration because I know that's what hunting's all about but I also know that I didn't grow up hunting in BC and I don't really know how to necessarily hunt these areas and they seem so foreign to me you know and all I know is to be able to to get out and seek and stalk and look around you know but there's a certain component of that that just doesn't feel like that this is the base of hunting that I want to do. And especially when, you know, your freezer depends on it. You don't want 
it to be questionable because hunting's not guaranteed anyway. An animal can be right in your sights and you can miss that shot. That animal can run away and that could be the only animal that you have a chance to be able to see. And I don't want to gamble that when, you know, me, my freezer is dependent on me being able to bring something home so I can feed myself and I can feed my family and I can feed, you know, friends and loved ones around me. You know, so finally my dad, you know, after several times of me getting skunked, you know, he's like, I want you to, you know, go hunting with your cousin. He's like, you know, we'll go to him. He's like, I'll come with you. You know, we'll make this trip out there. We'll go get some Alberta whitetail. And, you know, like Alberta whitetail is what I grew up eating. And, you know, it's just, it's such a pleasant meat. You know, that real nice, dark, rich purple, you know, not gamey at all. They're eating grain. They're eating corn. They're eating alfalfa. They're eating all these things. You have a mixture of, you know, natural and unnatural foods for them that kind of draw down the gaminess of their meat but man does it ever taste good and the one thing that I love you know when I'm sitting there eating you know white-tailed deer from Alberta is that you know like they are very fast and they are very finicky and they just take off and when they run they run and when they jump you want to talk about speed and agility a white-tailed deer very very fast, very, very agile. So when I'm eating that, I feel like I'm infusing that energy into my body, which is what I want, especially when I go into the gym. Very happy. So we embark on this, the the D-Day comes around and the planning behind all this and it's great. And, you know, I'm going and, you know, we're talking and my dad and I were going back and forth for the week prior. And, you know, he tells me he wants to leave at five o'clock in the morning and then 4.30 in the morning and then four o'clock in the morning and then 3.30 in the morning. And finally, we settle on that. And I say, you know what? I will leave any time you want. I'm just grateful for this opportunity. And I will go. I will sleep in the car halfway. I will drive all night while you sleep. It doesn't matter. But we finally, you know, decide to be able to leave on at 3.30 in the morning this past Friday. You know, so I go to bed and I get up at 2.30 in the morning and I'm up and ready to go. All my gear's packed. It's already in the car. I just need my my overnight bag of clothes and my toothbrush, final item to be able to put in the car, grab the food out of the fridge and, you know, put it in the cooler that I already prepared. You know, three and a half pounds of ground beef in three different containers and four 10-ounce ribeye steaks that are in my cooler. And I know I have all the food that I'm going to eat for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, specifically because I don't like to eat a lot while I'm driving, and I don't like to be able to eat a lot when I'm just sitting there hunting, because for one, a lot of the times you don't have the opportunity, and when you're full and sitting in an uncomfortable position, that is not comfortable at all, and the one thing that I love about being a little bit hungry when you're hunting is that you you want that meat more. It means a little bit more to you and your belly's hungry and your brain is, you know, tapped into that energy a little bit more of, you know, wanting to be able to get and harvest this animal to be able to feed yourself because you're already hungry. You know, so we start on this drive and it's dark for hours. You know, it's it's dark almost till seven o'clock. So leaving at 3.30 in the morning, you know, we have a good, you know, three and a half hours before it starts to be sunrise. And, you know, we make our way down the down the highway to Hope and we go up the Coquihalla and, you know, we get up to Kamloops and then, you know, we turn north on the Yellowhead Highway. And right about at that point in time, it's starting to get a little bit light outside because we're making great time. 
you know, just doing about 10 kilometers an hour over the speed limit, nothing crazy, just cruising right along, but there's no traffic, no brakes, no stops, no construction, just cruising right along. And we start to see the landscape, that beautiful BC landscape, you know, starting to be silhouetted in the background where you have these beautiful mountains, these rolling hills, this topography, this landscape, everything is so visually beautiful. And it's a bluebird day. You can see it all and it's crisp. It's nice and cold, minus nine. You're cruising along and there's deer everywhere. Almost most smacking deer on every corner we go. So the excitement starts to build because you're going deer hunting and you're almost hitting deer on the road as you drive. And, you know, the adrenaline's starting to go and you're like, I'm, I'm so far away from my end goal. And like, look at all these deer. There's more deer than I've seen all year. And now, you know, it's like, you know, like this is the time of day as you know that the deer come up. Plus the rut is starting, which makes you know these male deer so dumb they're like a you know 16 year old boy in a you know group of beach volleyball girls like that's how dumb these deer are right now because the rut is you know beginning and for some of them it's in full effect and if you've never seen a male deer rut before like you basically can be standing there with a gun in each hand and you know, a hunting license hanging from your belt and a deer tag hanging from your your mouth and you're just getting ready and that deer will look at you and he'll put his head back down. You can be five feet away from it and it smells that scent of a doe and it will not break that scent trail. That's how locked in they are during the rut. Just they completely override a lot of their other logic and a lot of their other senses that you are a danger to them because they just want to get at that doe. So it's funny to watch them. They're bucking and prancing and moving and wiggling and they're doing all this really erratic behavior. The same thing that a young gentleman does when that testosterone is just flowing through his body and he can't think anything else except for getting at those women. And, you know, for us guys, not much changes, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. So we're driving down the highway and I've never been down the Yellowhead Highway before past Highway 24 and for all those that know Highway 24 oh so well, you know, it's a beautiful drive as well through the caribou, seeing some beautiful scenery, but not quite as beautiful as driving through the mountains. So at Clearwater, BC, when you start heading more northeast, east, and you start to see these beautiful mountains. And I see Mount Montachet for the first time. And oh my God, they just this stunning beauty of Mount Montachet. Just looking at it and having this intense craving to be able to want to climb it, but knowing that you have no skills to actually be able to climb this mountain, these rock faces and these rock faces that are thousands of feet high. And even if you did, you're so scared of heights like that, that there's no way that your ability would be able to match your courage or your courage would be able to match your ability to be able to climb that mountain. So we keep on driving. We keep on driving down this road and I have to stop and get my hunting licenses and my tags when we get into to Alberta. My dad has this great point. There's once we get into Alberta, if you know, like there's anywhere along the way that we can stop and pick up these tags, it'd be better than once we get to Edmonton. So I'm like, great idea. So I find a Canadian tire store in Hinton. Great, that's where we're going. So we keep on down the highway. Highways are perfect, just like driving in the summertime. Outside looks like summer minus the snow. Highways look like summer. Minus nothing. Beautiful highways. Cruising along and we get into Jasper National Park and first thing we see is a herd of elk and just 
great big five-point and six-point bull elk sitting there right beside the road that you could reach out and rattle their horns while they're still on their head. Just an absolutely incredible sight. So it gets your hunting juices flowing a little bit more. There's a herd of 50, 60 elk there, and you're just looking around and stunning all the the majesty, majesty of these animals. Plus you're hunting. So you're like, you're in this complete paradox of like what you should do just to, you know, admire these animals, which you always have done and will continue to do, but wanting to harvest one at the same time and throw it in the back and have meat for the rest of the year, having three, four, 500 pounds of the best meat in the world. And you drive down the road a little bit further and you see three herds that probably equate to around 200, 300 sheep with some beautiful rams small rams not legal to shoot but like just great big rams and if you've ever seen a ram up close there's nothing more beautiful and eerie than seeing a ram up close because the dead look of hell in their eyes is wild but the beauty of the animal and the juxtaposition of those things is wild like if you can't explain the look that a a ram has in its eyes, unless if you've seen it up close within a few feet, it is the most eerie, eerie look in the world. So you appreciate these animals and you keep on going. You eventually get a little bit further down the road and you, you stop at Hinton. and you go into this Canadian tire and you see this young woman at the counter and you're bullshitting with her about getting these hunting licenses. And, you know, 10 minutes later, you walk out the door with your tags, you know, two supplemental doe tags and a buck tag plus your hunting license and you walk out to the car and you know like the beautiful soul that your dad is he's like did you check those those tags and those licenses to make sure they're and i'm like nah you know i'm like i told her what i wanted and blah 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 blah. he's like you should check so i check you know lo and behold i have a mule deer buck tag and a mule deer white tail tag i'm like fuck and then I realized, I'm like, you know, this is going to be a process because, you know, Canadian Tire is only a facilitator of going on a government website to purchase these licenses, you know, but they don't actually sell them themselves. How are they going to refund my money when this is a government website? So I go back in and lines long explained what happened and they're just like, oh my God, this is going to be a process. They have to call a 1-800 number to call Realm. They have to explain the situation. They have to get the money refunded and then I have to purchase my new ticket. So, you know, it actually went relatively smoothly. It was going to be a lot worse than, or I thought it was going to be a lot worse than what it was, but, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, you know, I have the two tag or the three tags that I want, mule deer tags off the table and I'm walking in the door. Problem is, is that, you know, now you're another 40 minutes behind of, you know, getting to Edmonton than what you wanted. Like, you know what? That's fine. We've got stuck behind some slow traffic today too, which was irritating, but that's fine. It's to be expected as long as you're still moving. You know, you have this, but you know what? I know what the end goal is. These little hiccups along the way, they're fine. And, you know, I'm really happy the way that my dad just let this water, you know, roll off the feathers of his back because it was, you know, it was beautiful to be able to watch that because, you know, normally these would be situations that'd be really frustrating for my dad and frustrating for me, you know, but realizing that, you know, people are just human and, you know, you're more likely just frustrated because you've already been driving in the car for, you know, nine hours at this point in time and you just want to break and you just want to get to where you're going back in the car, keep on driving. Then we get about an hour down the road and the highway is closed. This is a familiar scene that I've seen all too much. I'm waiting for that moment where, you know, my dad gets upset and he doesn't. And we're, you know, driving down this 
range road. And again, it's only about a 30 minute detour. But again, that's another now hour, hour and a half what's been added on to this drive. And, you know, great and not all at the same time. But it's like, you know, like, come on, like, we just want to get there. You know, we're getting a little bit further down. Now that we're out of the mountains and you're getting into this, you know, just the the prairiness, the, you know, like the vast open nothing of Alberta. But, you know, up in the Edmonton area, you're enclosed in these trees. So the highway is super wide and it's beautiful, but you're enclosed in these trees. So it's like you're driving in a coffin and that's exactly how it looks like a like an open lid coffin. I, I kid you, it just screams boredom screams monotony screams death it's so boring and the worst is when you're at the end of like a 12-hour drive in the last two hours or this you know no excitement it's not like you can drive into jasper national park and see these beautiful animals along the way these stunning gorgeous mountain ranges these beautiful valleys that just distract you time and time and time again no you don't have that you don't have that at all you have the clock and you keep on looking at the clock. So we eventually get there and it's, you know, about 4.45 in the afternoon after leaving at 3.30. And we're like, wow, man, pretty much exactly 12 hours. That was great. Even with these hiccups along the way, we still made great time. You know, we get checked in and we get our bags unloaded and we get things prepped up and we go downstairs and, you know, I crack a Guinness and my old man has something to eat and a glass of wine and we're bullshit and I'm texting my cousin getting everything all organized for the next day and you know it's just it's a beautiful moment like you have you know my dad and me you know going on these trips these hunting trips when we're young and bringing the nostalgia back from there and you know going hunting with my cousin I've always loved and admired and respect this you know amazing baseball player that you know played semi-pro baseball and really took it very far and you know decided to have a family instead and you know did that and you know I've just loved and admired this man who's 10 years older than I am you know I look more like a a friend you know a cousin and a father figure all in one you know because you know my cousin is huge you know like six four you know 280 big you know this a big man oh it just makes me lose my words thinking about all that in those moments right there so we get everything summed up and he's like, you know, I'm going to be there at five o'clock in the morning to pick you up. It's about an hour and a half drive to where we're going. And, you know, we want to be out there well before first light. And it's great. Okay. You know, so my old man and I, we have something to eat and we go up and, you know, we go to bed, but you know, like the adrenaline's high and you're sleeping in this room and, you know, it's, you know, foreign and you haven't really got things set up. You just want to get out and, you know, you want to be out hunting, but you know, you got to get some sleep because, you know, you got very little sleep the night before and you're tired, but the adrenaline's high and you just, ah, you know, in your mind, you're stirring. And then eventually about an hour later, I fall asleep. Get a great sleep after that. You know, very, very little disturbances when I sleep. Then I get up and I get organized and I get downstairs and I hop in my cousin's truck and like, immediately him and I were both fucking chatty Cathy's man like we just we talked we probably talked we talked 30 years worth of you know history of our lives between each other just constant constant talk and talk and talk and stories and this and that and your business my business your life my life your kids my kids you know your ex my ex you know this is how I eat that's how you eat this is why I like to hunt this is where I've hunted this is where you hunted this is why you like hunting everything every possible thing 
and we're driving around, driving around, driving around. You know, he has this whole, you know, game plan mapped out in his mind that for the first, you know, three or four hours of the day, we're going to truck hunt, just driving around and seeing where the deer are, you know, walking around some trees, trying to flush it out while the other person's posted up. And if anything jumps out of those trees, you know, they harvest that animal. You know, we drive around, we see first thing in the morning when it's not quite light enough to shoot. We see deer everywhere, everywhere there's deer. And again, it's like the hunter's paradox. It's to, you see them, it's too dark to shoot them, you know, but it's plain as day, but it's just a little bit too dark and you want it to be ethical. So you wait. But the longer you wait, you know that the less chance you have that you're ever going to see these animals again. So typical thing happens. We see bucks just head down in the snow tracing these does. We see does everywhere. The second it becomes ethical enough to be able to pull the trigger, fucking go stack. Don't see any deer anywhere. We're driving around. We're checking trail, trail cams. You know, we're going to, you know, my cousin's buddy's farms and we're checking in and saying hello and shaking some hands and kissing some cheeks and, you know, getting back in the truck and driving around, walking fence lines, you know, walking tree lines, flushing out of trees, checking his tree stands, all this kind of stuff and nothing. We see nothing. We see nothing all day. Except for on one of his trail cams, we see that, you know, these deer are coming around like, you know, 2.30 in the afternoon, you know, for a late afternoon feed. And it's in way in the back corner of this section of land, far away from the road. Nobody's allowed in there but us. It's a great spot. So finally, all this like unsuccessfulness and, you know, you're talking everything from being out in the beautiful blue sunshine to I'm posted up inside of a broken bale in the middle of a field while my cousin's walking through a section of trees trying to flush out anything that may be in there. And I've got this nice little cocoon, this nice little nest. I'm seeing this little perch and very well hidden amongst the, the mice of the straw waiting for something to come out. And then the snow starts to come down like the most beautiful winter scene you've ever seen in your life. And it's about minus two. So it's not even cold. It's a beautiful day. And the snow is just falling and you have this, you know, wide open field that you're looking at amongst this treed backdrop. And you just almost start to cry with how beautiful this is. It just overwhelmed me how beautiful this moment was. So you don't even care if no deer comes running out of it because this, the visual look of this was just absolutely incredible. And we hop back in the truck and we go over to the spot that we knew these deer were going to be, you know, at around 2.30 in the afternoon. We parked the truck, hop out of the truck, four white-tailed deer right there. Amazing. Amazing. Great sign. So we haven't seen deer all day, so we know they're in this area. So we walk down this little, you know, frozen over creek and, you know, we grab a couple, you know, of my cousin's lawn chairs out of his truck. And, you know, we find this area that's about 125 yards away from, you know, this spot where we know that they're going to come out right on this game trail. And we lay behind these reeds and we're sitting there. Within 10 minutes, two does come walking out. Like, holy shit, you know, like we barely even have sat down and these two does come walking out of the bush. And so we get all excited, but we know that there might be a buck chasing these does because the rut is on. So we wait, we're patient, you know, but the antsy hunter and you is like, what are you doing? There's two deer right there. Why aren't you pulling the trigger? You know, like this is your opportunity. These are the two, only two deer that you can see for the entire rest of the day and getting two nice big fat, you know, does. This is exactly the reason why you came. You're not, you know, shooting for rack. You're shooting for meat. 
take these deer. So I have fucking 10 minutes, 10 agonizing minutes go by. But the, almost the whole time they're sitting there too, they're, they're side by sides. So you don't even have a clean shot at both. So we sit there and, you know, we get ready because my cousin has doe tags and I ain't got doe tags. You know, and we, we sit there and we wait and finally they separate. And, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, got that rifle up on my shoulder and my cousin's leaning into his, you know, tripod and he's got his rifle rested on it. And I'm sitting there, okay, five, four. Oh no, okay, wait, 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 wait. You know, I've never shot this rifle before. You know, like, is it sighted in 100 yards? Check. Okay, it's about 125 yards. Knowing your rifle, where would you aim? Okay, but, you know, aim, you know, about halfway up, you know, between the heart and the spine and just allow that, you know, bullet to be able to lob down, bang, heart shot. Okay, fine. Three, two, bang. His deer drops. My deer turns, walks a couple feet. Nothing. Damn it. Reload. Bang. Aim same spot, nothing. Deer trots off a little bit, shit, you know, into the bushes and damn. So my cousin gets his, you know, I'm like, I aimed exactly where you told me to aim. And now he's like, fuck, it's probably a, a little bit closer than, you know, like what we thought. So the, the bullet might've been climbing up and, you know, hadn't had a chance to drop back down. And I'm like, fuck, you know, like that might've been my only opportunity to be able to harvest a deer today. And I'm like, man, I'm like, oh, well, like, that's hunting. So we go up and we grab this deer, load it in the back of the truck, drive down to the end of the field where we had the truck, you know, part. We process this deer, you know, we get it in game bags. We quarter it out in the field because again, like we're just there for the meat. We get the back straps. We get as much meat as we can. You know, we get it cooled off in the snow and then we put it in the back of the truck. And it's about minus four out now. So it's a great temperature just to draw that, you know, meat or the heat of the meat down you know, get it off the animal, let it just prepare. Because again, we're there for the meat. We don't want the meat to go bad. So we go back to our spot and we're sitting and, you know, we get the whole deer process in about 25 minutes because we both know what we're doing. And, you know, we both have this opportunity to be able to, you know, get this deer, you know, processed quickly. And we did. So we sit there and we're like, okay, we got about another, you know, what, about three hours? So we wait and we wait and we wait. And we know... We might have blown up our spot because we just harvested a deer from here. But at the same time, we also know that there's a lot of other hunters driving around chasing these deer around. So, you know, like, and, and there's deer tracks everywhere in this part of Alberta. Like, there's millions. You driving around and there is deer tracks running down the road, in the ditch, in the fields, in the trees, everywhere. Like, there's, you, you see them everywhere. It is like there's more deer than birds in this area. You know they're there. So you know that if hunters are pushing these deer around, that they're eventually going to come back. Okay, so we sit there. As the hours roll by, you're like, you know now your only opportunity realistically outside of that a deer can appear out of these bushes at any second is going to be that last, you know, maybe 10 minutes before it's no longer ethical to shoot. So we're quietly whispering and bullshitting back and forth and you know we're telling stories and telling us talking about how beautiful it is and you have this skyline that's you know purple and orange and blue and pink and red and you have a little bit of cloud cover you have beautiful blue sky you have a little mouse making a burrow right in front of us that we can actually visually see and it doesn't even seem to care that we're sitting there at all which is wild. And, you know, we have this, you know, stubble field. We have this slightly rolling topography of the landscape. We have, you know, bushes to the right, open field to the left. You know, our 
trail where we're shooting, you know, directly in front of us, which is due west. We have a wind blowing from west to east blowing our scent away, which is perfect. Just a slight wind, not enough of a wind to be able to chill you down too much, but just enough of a wind to carry your scent away, which is perfect. So all those hours go by. Last 10 minutes before dark, five does come walking on the bush. It's like, there's five does, there's got to be a buck. Where's that buck? And we know there's a big one there. We've seen it on the trail cam. We know that it's there. So we sit and we wait and we wait and we wait. Again, it's like 60 seconds go by. It feels like an hour. It's like, this is the only opportunity. It's like, fuck, you know, like, I know you want your buck. I want a buck too, but it doesn't matter. I just want meat. This is my only opportunity to be able to, to harvest this meat. It's like, okay, this is our moment. This is our moment of truth. We're going to, you know, take this opportunity right here, right now. Three, two, bang. One deer drops, one deer drops and kind of prances and drops and kind of prances and shit. You know, so it's like, you know that this deer is hit. You know, but you know that you have to, you know, get up there to be able to take a second shot. And it's like, you also don't know in these moments, like it can be a completely ethical shot, but just that adrenaline that's running through a deer. I've seen a deer be, you know, a complete lung and or heart shot. But just the adrenaline kind of keeps them going, especially mule deer are really bad for this. So we wait and we give it some time and, you know, we get up there and, you know, like you see that deer moving around. It's after dark. Now it's dark, but you know, but you know, we see this deer just moving around. You don't know if it's adrenaline or nerves or what it is. You know, you walk over and just the, you know, the thing to do is be able to, if there is any life left in this year, just put it out of its misery. So, you know, a quick headshot takes care of that. You know, we load these two deer into the truck and, you know, we're working there. Now it's night and all the flashlights and headlamps are out and, you know, we're bullshit, we're talking, we're having a great time. And, you know, this is the best part about all this is that, you know, it always ends up being nighttime when you're skinning a deer or when you're gutting a deer or field dressing a deer. It's always nighttime because again, unless if you get it first thing in the morning, you know, there's a very low likelihood that you're going to get anything for the rest of the day. But what you do know is there's a very good likelihood that the last, you know, five or 10 minutes before dark last light is when you're going to get something and you know, processing is always going to be in the dark. But the beautiful part is, it's not cold. And you know, it's a majestic sky, there's stars above, there's no lights around, there's, you know, one light every two or three miles at a farmhouse. And the only lights are just our headlamps. Which is beautiful. You know, we're processing these deer and, you know, we get them into these game bags. You know, we clean them off with the snow, get a little bit of the hair off, try to cool that meat down, resting them off in the snow, get them in the back of the truck. And, you know, now it's, I don't even know, probably 6 37 o'clock at night because we're taking our time. We're in no hurry. I came here for this moment right now. This is, and we're not hunting for the rest of the day. So there's no need to rush through this process and we can just have a great time. We just do our thing. So we're driving back. It's about an hour, hour and a half back to Edmonton. My dad said he wants to take the successful hunters out. And I'm happy because now I got meat in the fridge and we're still telling stories upon stories upon stories. We haven't ran out of stories because, you know, like, you know, my cousin, he owns, you know, with his business partners, three or four motorsports companies. It's all about sales. And he was previously in car sales. So like, he's just that type of guy and always happy, always personable, very joyous man. And we have a great time together. 
And we go back and can't wait to be able to tell these stories because, you know, there's my cousin who idolizes my dad is the hunter of the family, the outdoorsman of the family. So he's just probing my dad with questions. And I see my cousin sitting across the table telling hunting stories to my dad, my dad telling hunting stories to my cousin, me just sitting there absorbing this beautiful environment of this exchange of information that I'm hungry to be able to hear. And seeing the love and the respect and the camaraderie amongst these men in my family. And I love it. So the final hunting of the trip of the year was very successful. And I'm very happy and very gracious and very humble to be able to have that opportunity in my life to be able to experience that and have meat in the freezer. And, you know, the 11-hour drive home, I don't even need to get into that. And just knowing that we had a 60-hour turnaround time from, or no, a 59-hour turnaround time from the minute we left the door in Langley to when we were back home with meat in the freezer, I couldn't ask for a more beautiful weekend. So thank you for listening. It was a great weekend. My mind is full. My heart is full. My freezer is full. How could I not be the happiest man in the world?